Hey, and welcome to the Aloha Church Podcast. We believe that full life is found in Jesus. And after this message, if you have any questions, please engage with us over social media or connect with us on a Sunday morning. We so hope you enjoy this message. Drew's been talking about parables. Honestly, my mind has been blown in this book that we've been reading, Scandalous. It's talking about parables in a way I've never necessarily heard the parables talked about before. Uh, Jesus wanted, came to turn the religious world upside down. So a lot of times he had to talk in parables. He wanted people to hear something different than what they had been hearing from the discourse of the religious people of the day, right? So um, in the three years of Jesus's ministry, he he did a lot of teaching. He did a lot of healing. He did a lot of just being with the people. Hello. Um, And he did a lot of miracles. One of the miracles, and I think it's one that's really important. There's only one of these type of miracles. It was a miracle that didn't cause some, it wasn't a buildup. It was a miracle that destroyed something. Anybody? Yes, this is good. I'm glad you guys don't have an answer to this. Okay. A little fig tree on the outskirts of town. He cursed and it died. The only one that was destructive. So what do we gather from that? This is probably an important story, right? If this is the only one of its kind, this is probably really important, right? So that's why this message today is called Figs and and Phonies. Figs and phonies. Everybody say, figs and phonies. Okay, let's pray. Lord, you are the teacher. The Holy Spirit is the teacher, not me or anybody who's up here. I pray that you just fall on us today. May the Holy Spirit fall. Show us, Lord. Open our eyes. May our hearts see what we haven't seen before. Show us fresh. Give us unbiased lenses. You're the only thing that satisfies You're the only one who could cause us to stop performing and to bear real fruit. Holy Spirit, speak to us today in your name. Amen. Okay, so after three years of doing grueling ministry, being in the streets with the people, suffering with those who are suffering, putting up with the disciples' shenanigans, couldn't have been easy, right? And Jesus is headed to Jerusalem for Holy Week, Passover. What? If you're a religious person at the time, every day in your year pointed to Holy Week, to Passover, right? Jesus enters Jerusalem to throngs of people celebrating. I am not going to talk about his holy entrance into Jerusalem, but I do encourage you to go study that. It's incredible. So he enters to um, what is the center of faith. It's the Mecca of religious life. It's a huge celebration week. People are singing and shouting and dancing. So one might think that these people are hopeful, maybe filled with the confidence of being God's people, God's chosen people. One may think that about these people. So Jesus wants to see the temple right away when he gets into Jerusalem. He goes, but it's sundown. So he just kind of gets to the center of the square. He looks around. He's like, okay, 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 okay. Right, 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 right. Let's go eat. Let's go rest. He likes to eat and rest with his disciples, right? And he heads to the temple in the morning. What does he find 
at the temple during Holy Week. Anybody? Famous story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's on the tip of your tongues. I know it. He finds basically chaos, thievery, hypocrisy. The people who were supposed to be protecting and leading God's people were stealing from them in the sense that they had, this is just one example. So one of the sacrifices you could make was, uh, let's say, a sparrow. And the people were selling the sparrows for an exorbitant amount of money. They didn't need to be selling them for that amount. And they knew that they couldn't get these sparrows any other way. So the people, a lot of them middle or lower class, had to pay for that. That made Jesus very angry. Does that make you angry? Makes me kind of angry. There's no reason why they would sell anything except just to benefit from something that is really holy. So the whole scene angers Jesus, where people are going in search of God, in search of, they're hungry, and they want to be filled, they want to have this encounter with Jesus, and they come away empty and unsatisfied. Does this sound familiar to you at all? So Jesus is sad, and he's angry, so he overturns the money tables, and he lets loose all the animals, and he goes on this tirade, and then he declares to these people who should be honoring this holy temple, the Pharisees, and he says to them, and he quotes Jeremiah in the Old Testament because he knows that they know Jeremiah. So that was intentional too. Everything in the Bible is so intentional, so carefully curated for us to study because it's spectacular. So he says to them, using Jeremiah, their own words, and he says, I lost it. Oh, that would have been so great. Hold on. I got to find it. Ah, I found it. Okay. He says to them, I don't usually use my iPad. Sorry, guys. Trying to be cool. Just go back to the paper notes. So not cool. Okay. He says to them, this den of robbers is ripe for destruction, which bonus info happens in 70 AD just a little bonus for you. So he leaves the temple. He travels towards Bethany where he spots a fig tree. The fig tree, it's late spring. So most figs, fig trees aren't actually blooming, but this fig tree is called in leaf. So it has leaves and these leaves typically have little buds of fruit that you can eat, right? So Jesus goes in to expect it. He's like, oh, that's rare. This tree shouldn't have leaves or fruit, but it does. Let's go look. Maybe we can eat and be filled and be satisfied. Mmm, wrong, Jesus. So the particular tree that draws Jesus' attention, it's an early bloomer. With that expectation, Jesus goes to the tree and he's immediately disappointed. It's all leaves and no fruit. Say no fruit. No, say no fruit like that. No fruit. All expectation 
no satisfaction. And in this shocking moment, Jesus curses the tree, makes it wither from the roots, and it will never bear fruit again. So this takes a minute to process, right? Jesus is kind of out of character for him. He's this child welcomer, compassionate healer. He's the storm calmer, right? Is he just like leftover mad from the temple? You know, you kind of are leftover mad, so you yell at people who just kind of get in your way. No, that is not what happened. This is so important. This particular miracle is so important what he did because he's making a point. The Passover celebration, the frenzy of the crowds, the singing, it's all a show. Oh, Jesus enters God's house of prayer and he finds it a den of robbers. Lots of action, lots of bustle, lots of church ladies doing their thing. But he calls it a den of robbers because there's no actual righteousness. Leaves, no fruit. But it wasn't just that it didn't have fruit. I'm not trying to shame any of us about not having fruit in our lives. Allie already talked about that a couple Sundays ago. Go, you can look it up on Instagram. Jesus causes us to bear fruit. However, this is not what made Jesus the most mad, right? Anybody? Anybody? Because this is really sobering when you get this. The, pas- uh, the passage is also about the threat and the temptation towards false premises of fruit. Yes, the fig tree, like the temple courts during Passover, was putting on a show, right? And that made it all the worse. It's one thing to lack fruit in in and out of season. It's one thing to lack fruit in and out of season. And it's another to lack it while pretending that you have it and that you can satisfy people who come to you who are hungry, which is what the Pharisees were doing. And this is a warning to us. Because our personal lives can look like we're in leaf, like we're in bloom and we have fruit. And sometimes we make it look like that, right? We look like, you know, great student, great mom, lots of followers on Instagram. I'm a good worker, employee of the month, overstuffed schedule, lots of ministry activities. I'm doing a lot for the church, right? But the root of your faith is withered and there's no fruit there's no holiness there's no intimacy with god doesn't that term intimacy with god just make you want to lean forward a little bit and be like yes i want that that's what i want that's what i want what's worse our leaves sometimes even fool us right our lies our fakeness it sometimes fools us And sometimes our churches can be caught in that mode, right? Ooh, we look impressive. Good attendance, funny pastor, very impressive Instagrammable setting you have here, right? But what is the Lord going to find upon closer inspection of our churches? I want to dig just a little further because this story is about the fig tree is really, really important. In the Old Testament, we discover that the vine and the fig tree are routinely used as metaphors for the people of Israel. So it's actually used for the entire nation of Israel, this fig tree. In Hosea chapter 9, it says, When I found Israel, it was like finding grapes in the desert. And when I saw your fathers, it was like seeing the earthly fruit on the fig tree. 
Micah 7, 1 says, what misery is mine. I'm like one who gathers summer fruit at the gleaming of the vineyard. There is no cluster of grapes to eat, none of the early figs I crave. So Jesus looks at the scene, the people of Israel, his nation, his family, having ridden in as the king to the headquarters of religion. He's observing the ceremonialism. He's observing legalism, the utter emptiness in the activities of the religion. And he says, this is not who I am. That's not who I am. I'm not like that. I ain't fake. I don't have false fruit. Jesus isn't just being mean when he curses the fig tree. He doesn't just curse the fig tree because he can. He's using the fig tree as prophetic symbolism for the entire nation of Israel. He's using it to set forth the judgment that's about to fall on Jerusalem. He's doing this action, this destructive miracle, and it's what he exemplifies when he cleanses the temple, when he overturns the tables and he clears out the, the, the animals. And this was his way of cleansing the temple. What does he say at the beginning of Mark? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. But people are going about their religious activities like we do sometimes without any consideration for these things that the time is near. Repent and believe the good news. And just as from a distance, the fig tree gave the impression of a fruitfulness that wasn't there, so the people of Israel, God's people, gave the appearance of being able to satisfy a hunger, but it wasn't so. We're going to land on this point. We're, we're going to talk about the nation of Israel in just a bit. Don't worry. I think I might be halfway done, but I can't tell because I don't know how to use this app. <laughs> but I want to land on this point for a little bit longer. Because we hate hypocrites, right? Ugh, hypocrites are bad. They're horrible. Nobody likes a hypocrite. Jesus loathed hypocrisy too. He came and turned the religious system upside down. He called the Pharisees and scribes out publicly about the error of their, of their laws. Think about it. If you were a Pharisee, beloved by the people, you had a title, you were somebody, people knew you, and this man starts churning the waters over who you are and what you are and your value. That's what he was doing to the people, the religious people of the day. I honestly couldn't think of a worse insult to be called a hypocrite. Um, Jesus addressed these people in Mark chapter 7. When the Pharisees had come to him and accused Jesus of not paying attention to the laws, the ceremonial practices of the law, because his disciples were eating without rinsing their hands and using like cleansed dishes, Jesus is like, come on. And he quotes from the book of Isaiah here again, because the Pharisees know the book of Isaiah. So he's using their words to teach them. He's using the Bible, the Old Testament to teach them. And he says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. <laughs> As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. 
They worship me in vain. Their teachings are about rules taught by men, but you have let go of the commands of God and you're holding on to the traditions of men. And it's here with the temple and the fig tree that we witness what Jesus was talking about. He goes into the temple and he finds Bedlam where there should be the glory of God like it was in the Old Testament. Remember how tedious it was to make the temple when Solomon remade the temple. And the glory of God sets in this temple. And that's what Jesus was hoping. And even more, what people were hoping to find there an encounter with the living God. And instead, he just finds people playing church. So he doubles down on the whole point with the fig tree that showing off leaves that should be filled with budding fruit but is absolutely useless in what it has to offer. So you can see the severity in which Jesus regularly criticized the hypocritical Pharisees. Did I say that right? Yeah, the severity in which Jesus regularly criticized the Pharisees. It's a mouthful. And this was pretty basic of his critique of the Pharisees of the day. In Matthew, get this, man, this one got me. In Matthew, he said, you're hopeless. You religion scholars and Pharisees, you're hopeless. You're frauds. You're like manicured grave plots, grass clipped and the flowers bright. Like, do you think Jesus used that tone when he was saying this? Like he wasn't just reading it like this, like how we read the Bible, right? He's like, you're hopeless. You religious scholars and Pharisees, you're frauds. You're like this manicured grave plot. He probably didn't do that. Grass clipped and the flowers bright, but six feet down, it's all dead man's bones. People look at you and think you're saints, but beneath your skin, you're total frauds. Ouch. And again, doesn't stop there. This is the very common thing he keeps talking about. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the plate, but underneath it's filled with filth. He's saying you put on the show, you make sure you have yourselves looking good, but inside you are empty and you're not filled with me. So over and over and over, Jesus chastised the religious leaders of the day. Because they sh their show of spiritual spirituality, but their absence of fruit. You guys get where we're going here? Okay. Some of us, that's literally all we've known. Just play in church. Born, I was born in a homeschooled, very sheltered, very strict, very Christian home. Literally all I knew was performing and rules. I did not know intimacy with Christ. That's not how my parents planned it. They didn't do that on purpose. It's just how I received it. It's just how I received my faith, right? I had to perform. The people needed Jesus to save them from religious tyranny. They couldn't do it on their own. It was the religious people, the people who gained from other people following rules who planned Jesus's death. It was them. It wasn't the non-believers. It wasn't the political people. It was God's 
people, the Israelites, the Jewish people who planned and murdered Jesus because what he was accusing them of. It was the one thing to know to the rest of this. It's like they were the ones who were like God's important people. They lost their minds a little bit. They just lost their minds a little bit because they were being called names, because Jesus was exposing them for who they truly are and were afraid of being exposed for who we truly are, most of us, right? But don't we try to do this thing too? I, th- I feel like it's, it's like we, tr- we try to do this too. Darn, I was hoping that would be a little bit more smooth. That wasn't smooth at all. Let me try it again. Don't we try to kill off the things that threaten our comfortability? Things that threaten our perfectly planned and curated life? We, we, we want to close ourselves to the thing that will actually bring us peace. In another gospel account of the story, it says, As Jesus approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it and said, if you'd only known what brings you peace, it's hidden from your eyes. The day is going to come when enemies will surround you and they will not leave one stone or another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Do we recognize the time of God's coming? When Jesus cursed the fig tree, it was four days before he died on the cross. You gotta know that's important. If he's doing something four days before he dies on the cross, He's, it's important. It's important to him. The people needed a savior from the law. Jesus overturned the temples in the temp, overturned the tables in the temple to cleanse it and cursed the fig tree to symbolize the destruction and salvation of God's temple. He declared that the time for destruction was near. He's talking about timing. Do we recognize God's timing? Jesus rides into town on a donkey as Solomon did, he rides in as the new son of David. But unlike Solomon, who came to build the temple, God comes to deconstruct the temple because he came to make a new temple in us. That's big. The fervor of time is calling to us in this fig tree story. It's all boiling to a climax because the world needs saving and we can't do it. Only God can do it. So let me ask you something. Do you recognize the religious mindset in your life? Because most of us, especially those of us who've been in church, have developed religious legalism. It's almost impossible not to. That's nothing, nothing to feel shameful about. It's something to know about yourself and be curious about. It's a religious spirit that disguises itself as something important and sacred, but in reality, it's evil. I want that to settle in just a little bit. In this day and age, we don't like talking about evil or Satan or hell or spirits. And even as I was putting together this message, I thought, I don't really want to say spirit of religion. It just sounds so churchy. I'm not really like that. I'm like a cool person. Do I believe in a spirit of religion? I do. So I just want to say that to you, that it sounded even weird to me, except when you start researching it 
and it's really real. So I'm so glad you asked what a spirit of religion is. I'm so glad you asked. Okay, spirit of religion. Let's think Pharisees and let's think us. I'm not saying you're a Pharisee. I'm just saying, be curious. Just be curious about it. Okay, a religious spirit can look like this. Having a hard time receiving God's love, his compassion, and his forgiveness. It's a spirit of religious because you think you need to do more. You think you don't deserve it because it's on you. Your focus is on you, not on Jesus' grace. Spirit of religion can look like this. Believing that God is distant, unkind, or judgmental. Relying on your own intellect in worship, in prayer, when you study the Bible, in spiritual warfare. This is a tough one. Spirit of religion can look like feeling dull or just like that hardness of heart to the things of God where you just feel like, ugh. Anybody just feel like, ugh, sometimes? Caring about what others think and especially those who aren't believers, this was a big one, the fear of man. It's a huge stumbling block to intimacy with Christ. And it's one that I personally struggle with daily, that fear of man, wanting man's approval, the opinion of man, the opinion of the world. Uh, rationalizing sin or having a compromising attitude towards sin, having a heart filled with comparison, judgment, criticism, gossip, envy, anger, I'm smiling because I know it's hitting hard with some of you. Slandering, slandering other church people or other church leaders, especially if they have authority over you, a major sign of a religious spirit, of a pharisaical spirit. Believing that you need to work to earn your father's love and acceptance. Finally, that's just some of them. There's so many more. That's just some of them. Go read about it yourself. Finally, if you do not regularly practice confession, you most likely struggle with a legalistic religious stronghold in your life. And if I said the word confession and you kind of were like, ooh, confession, do we still even do that? I would be curious about that. No judgment, just be curious about it. And if you thought, I don't really know what I would need to confess, I mean, all is lovely. I have a lovely life with lovely children. <laughs> if you think nothing comes to mind when we talk about confession, I'm going to suggest that you take that before God and let him show you. It was a religious spirit that killed Jesus, and it is a religious spirit that is weakening and crippling the church today. It is massive in our church today the religious spirit. It's huge. It is why people are looking up to be fed and they walk away from church hungry. They walk away from church with questions, wondering what was that? The lack in modern day Christianity is real. Believers have been stale and starving for far too long. There's no real presence of God in many Christians' lives, even pastors and teachers. They don't have like this vibrant, deep sense of abiding with Christ because most of them aren't. Most of them are just writing their sermons and writing classes and preparing programs for us. And 
uh, want to say this in reverence to everybody. Programs, classes, Bible teaching, it's all great. But that is not what satisfies. It is God himself who nourishes the soul. So if you're only just coming to church to just hear a Bible teaching, do this. Skip church next Sunday, go on a walk, wherever you feel closest to God, whether that's in the mountains, whether it's in the desert, whether it's at the beach, and just say, I'm here, Lord. I'm just with you. I'm just going to be with you today. And see what happens. Be curious. Isaiah 57, it's God himself who nourishes the soul. Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the high and exalted one, I dwell on, I dwell on a high and holy place and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Did you hear the key words in that verse? I dwell with the contrite and the lowly of spirit. Dwell, he's with us. Did you also hear the words revive? He said it two times. Those are repetitions that's important for us to look at. In his presence, he revives us. This is where revival begins. Michael, you ready? No, 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 come up now. No, stop talking to Drew. Just come up. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. It's hot up here with my poofy jacket. This is where revival begins in his presence. Not putting on programs, not putting on a show, not leading a great Bible study, not having really great prayers for your friends, not even having great advice for your friends, walking away and being like, oh man, I did it, I crushed that, I gave her such good advice. She met Jesus. It is when we sit in the garden in the morning while the dew is still fresh on the roses and we walk and we talk with Jesus. Hearers must be encouraged to find God in personal experience or all the teaching, all the podcasts, all the YouTube videos. It all falls flat if you're not spending just personal time with Jesus. And it's so easy. Just turn things off and listen and say, I'm here. I don't know what to say. I don't have eloquent words. I'm just going to be here with you. Just try it. Delight in his presence. Just delight in his presence. Taste, know the sweetness of God himself in the core of your heart. We have to help hungry people find God. We have to. The time is now. Jesus is preparing things. He's setting a course for earth and he's coming. We have to help people find God. We have to help them fill their hearts with the intimacy of knowing God. Be encouraged. Don't be ashamed. Be encouraged by this sermon. This was not meant to be a shameful sermon. It was meant to help us all, if you didn't already, to know. Because knowing's half the battle. Oh, wow, I have had a religious spirit. Oh, wow, Jesus did not like hypocrisy. He didn't like when people was put, were putting on a show. He did not like people having titles and holding it in front of them like a badge. He did not like that. Am I doing that? Do I do that? 
Oh, gosh. Go after the religious spirit in your own heart. Now that you know it, go after it. Are you like feeling a little exhausted? That's what I was feeling this week. I just felt like a little dull, a little like lifeless, a little exhausted. And then I said, oh my gosh, this is my inexhaustible need for approval, which is fear of man and I rebuke it. I rebuke it in Jesus' name. I don't have time for people's opinions. I don't have time to perform for my parents anymore. I don't have time to perform for my teachers anymore. I don't have time to perform for Drew and I don't have time to perform for you. The time is near to be intimate with Jesus and know him as your savior. Rebuke the critical, the the religious spirit. Do it yourself. You don't need somebody to do it for you. In fact, I even considered doing like a prayer and to be really honest, I was nervous about it. I get a little still nervous about spiritual warfare and like, ooh, if I go after this spirit of religion for everybody, is it all going to come on me? Oh my gosh, I get a little, what? I know that's not true. 47-year-old Trish then talks to 13-year-old Trish and says, that's not true. I am big. I am bigger than this building. I am bigger than this place. Jesus is in me, gives me all the power I need. No evil thing can overtake me. So I am not going to do a group prayer to deliver us from the religious spirit. However, I do believe most of us need to have an individual prayer to ourselves and possibly with somebody else sometime this week. I have a paper that if you guys want it, you could take it. It just gives a little bit information and it tells a little bit more about what it looks like to just be pharisaical. And I'll have that at the info table. That was a tough one. Um, but what I do want to do is just pray and invite the Holy Spirit to teach you even more because it felt too big for me. Like this morning felt too big. It felt too big for my words, for my brain. I felt like I couldn't really wrap my head around what Jesus was going to do here. So I'm just going to let him do it. So I'm just going to have you guys close your eyes and we're just going to spend a couple minutes just listening to see what he may have to say. You've been listening to the Aloha Church Podcast. If you want to learn more about living free in Jesus, please reach out to us. We hope God spoke something wonderful and life-giving to you today. Until next time, lots of love and aloha.